I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to episode Jack Rodewald of the Cosper Pointcast. I'm your co-host Trevor Shackles, joined as always by my fellow co-host Colin Cudmore. It's been over a month since our last episode and there have been a few things to discuss since then and now the hockey talk is really going to heat up as we head into training camp before the season begins, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. But Colin, are you uh, ready to say goodbye to summer? It's been a nice summer. We're, I guess we're both heading back to school, but it's uh, could be nice to usher in a new sense season. I, it's, it's, it's a weird feeling to... Um, like at the end of the last season, it really felt like we really had a good sense of relief to be, to finish off that season. And, and now we're kind of all the way back to, uh, waiting for the season to start and waiting for training camp to start. It's just a weird feeling with the sense. I don't know. It's just kind of that love hate relationship, I guess we all have right now, but yeah. Um, yeah, I guess there's a few things that, uh, happened this past off season that we can, uh, talk about, especially since, uh, uh a few things have happened in the last month. There's just a couple of trades have gone down. But before that, just the most recent bit of news, I think, is Colin White. So um, I think the details were six years at $4.75 million per year. Um, no signing bonuses, uh, which I guess is kind of more standard for a player of, uh, of uh, White's caliber who, hasn't, who doesn't exactly mm-hmm. have that uh, star power, I guess. But I don't know. What, what were your quick thoughts? Or what are some of your thoughts on, on White's uh, new contract? Yeah, I mean, I think most people were pretty surprised with... I mean, mostly the term, and um, I, I just think most people kind of expected the worst-case scenario with this contract, which I don't know if a bridge contract was necessarily going to be you know, disastrous or anything, but it just would have been a bit, I don't know, just, just a bit annoying to see another player not really commit to the team. And with a six-year contract that White signed, he really showed that he wants to be a senator, he wants to be in Ottawa. Um, he only actually bought out one year of his unrestricted free agency, but still, I mean, he's going to be here till he's 28 unless he gets traded. And that, you know, if White was hesitant about wanting to stay here, he wouldn't sign this contract, right? I mean, he would probably sign a two-year deal. So even even if it, you think it's a, a bad deal in terms of the cap hit, I think it's just so good for the optics for the organization um, because this is the biggest contract they've handed out since Bobby Ryan in 2014. So they really needed a, a big contract like this. And obviously, like you're saying, he's not he's not in the same tier as a guy like Thomas Shabbat or um, any of these other huge unsigned uh, RFAs like Miko Ranton and Patrick Lyon and guys like that. But yeah, Ottawa just really needed a win like this. And it's it's good to see pretty much everyone... Um, be happy with this news. Totally. And I mean, it feels like we're a normal hockey team for once. And just in the sense that every totally. other move this year has been very uh, uh, cost savings related. Whereas uh, Colin White, I guess, if, depending on how you look at it, it could be cost savings. I wouldn't really put it that way, though. It looks like uh, 
signing a long-term contract is something that really hasn't happened in a long time. So the Sens doing something that actually makes sense. It just feels uh, kind of estranged at this point for us. So um, for as for Colin White, I honestly don't think there would have been a situation I would I would not have been happy with unless they went uh, way too high on the cap hit or or mm-hmm. uh, or 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 if this situations end up getting drawn out for a long time. Either of those situations may have been uh, uh, much worse than this, but even on a bridge even on a bridge contract, just like looking at White as a player, uh, I, I can't say I'm too convinced of him as a first-line center, even a top-six center yet. No, um, no, no. It, like his, uh, his offensive ceiling, I think, is, is, is more capped than some people are, are uh, kind of make it out to be at this point, but he is also very competent defensively, and I think that's something he made great strides with this year. Um, it, it would definitely be... Uh, a bit of a risk, especially seeing uh, how he was playing with Mark Stone and Brady Kachuk all last year. Who, uh, so with Mark Stone no longer here, that uh, really we know the Mark Stone effect is a real thing. So if uh, he'll probably be taking a bit a bit of a hit just in that sense, just in his on ice metrics. But um, he's also like he's also a young player. I think he just turned twenty two or uh, twenty one. Is, is he still twenty one? Twenty two. He's twenty two now. So. Like, yeah, players hit their peak around 23. I'm sure there's still a bit more room for him to grow. This is, he only played, uh, um, he only played his rookie season last year. So, um, I just, I, I'm, ha- yeah, I guess I'm happy with his contract. Like for six years at a player of his age with that low of a cap it, and, and keep in mind that the that this uh, this salary is going to look even better as the years go on. I know it's a rising uh, salary, mm-hmm. but. Uh, um, if you look at how the cap it will will eventually adjust with these long term deals compared to um, just how the salary cap's going to end up rising over the years, it's a, uh, it's a uh, yeah. It, I mean, it, it seems like a very like not even just a fair deal. I'd say it was pretty team friendly in that sense. Yeah, well, I'm just happy that they finally took a risk with a player like this. I mean, we've seen them re-sign guys who are very limited. So um, you know to to contracts that were probably a couple years too long so you know zach smith mark borvietsky ben harper um guys like this who probably should have gotten like one or two year deal deals or got like two three or four year deals um so it's nice to see that they actually took a risk on a guy like white who has room to grow um isn't really going to be like a superstar or anything but i think he's going to be an important piece um you know as the second or third line center on this team well probably more like the second line center but um, yeah, I, I just think it's, it's good that they did this now before he potentially has an even better season and then is going to be even more expensive. And, you know, it's actually very similar to the Kyle Turris contract that was signed in 2012, I believe. Um, you know, he, when Turris signed that contract, he was coming off a season where he had 29 points in 49 games with the Senators. And that was a 49 point, 49 point pace over the the course of 82 games and this past season white was on pace for 47 so um obviously like points aren't everything but i think it's pretty similar and over time that tourist contract looked incredibly good that was one of the best in the league for only five million dollars so i don't know if this one's going to end up looking quite as good as that but i i'm very happy to see them at least take a chance on a guy who is actually who actually has a bit of upside not like some third pairing defenseman. Yeah, and the one place I'll disagree with you here is just the I kind of disagree on the amount of risk the Sens are taking here. I think if if you look at 
um, these types of comparisons for these young restrict restricted free agents, it's, it's generally a pretty good bet that when you sign them to these long-term deals, that these deals will end up looking pretty good. And if you also look at this from Colin White's perspective too, you also have to think there's a, there's a certain amount of risk coming from his side too, just in the amount mm -hmm. of, uh, of him betting that this is what he's going to be for the next six years and that uh, he's not going to have some huge breakout year. And if he does have that huge breakout year, then Ottawa just looks even better for it. So, um, yeah, it just seems like a very encouraging move. And uh, I just wonder how this will affect the, the rest of the team as well. Maybe it will convince guys like Shabbat, who is very close with Colin White. They were drafted the same year. They share the exact same birthday. Uh, I, I mean, they, they seem very <laughs> close together. So it, I don't know, does that affect Shabbat at all? And uh, I also look at the rest of um, the players that are really with the Sens. I, I, I think this came up in one of uh, Bruce Garriock's articles today. But uh, there are lots of lots of players who, who really enjoy being around Colin White because they all came through the U.S. development program together, like uh, Logan Brown and Josh Norris and Brady Kachuk and all these players. It, the, yeah. this, this is why the Sens are really drafted heavily from uh, uh, the United States recently because all these players seem to know each other and they all seem to want to play together. So if Colin White is that first player with a bunch to sign, we'll uh, wonder if, how that will affect future contract negotiations in the next uh, two to three years. Totally. And that was my first thought when I saw the news that he re-signed for long term. Um, I think that's just fantastic news. I mean, it, it's good news, the contract in itself. But when you look at the context around it, you're right. He's he's friends with a lot of these guys, especially the American players. And, you know, Ottawa's going to have to keep Brady Kachuk around if they if they want to, you know, make this rebuild legitimate, especially uh, Shabbat as well. But, um, you know, Kachuk... Um, Seems like he's really good friends with White and Josh Norris. If he ever ends up turning into an NHL player, he's apparently Kachuk's best friend too. So that's encouraging news because if White wants to stay, then the other guys are probably going to want to stay. So um, yeah, it's just, I can't really think of a negative um, viewpoint on this contract, honestly. Oh, totally not. And uh, unless, you're looking, unless you're really hoping the sense would go... Uh like like super full rebuild and kind of just go even younger than Colin White, which seems like a... <laughs> <laughs> uh, that'd be a bit strange. But yeah, yeah, the, 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 I'm, I'm it's it's a stretch. But yeah, yeah. The, it, there, there's uh, there's a lot to like about uh, Colin White as a player too. I mean, he's uh, um, yeah, he was he's one of the Sens' few like really competent defensive players in the year where they were like historically bad defensively. So yeah, uh, yeah. So I guess the next player we need to talk about, who's kind of always tied into this is uh, with contract negotiations is uh, Thomas Shabbat. And he is uh, going to be a um, restricted free agent next season. Uh, he is the last year on his entry-level contract. Um, so yeah, it looks like uh, there's, there's a report from Bruce Garriott today that says that um, the Sens have been negotiating with Shabbat on a contract extension. Apparently it's moving in the right direction. It seems like Dorian's uh, being pretty quiet about this, not negotiating through the media like the mistakes he's uh, made in the past. Um, <laughs> So I'm just wondering, what what are you, are, how optimistic are you about this Shabbat extension getting done, um, in within the next maybe six months, or if not within the six months, do you think you'll, uh, how optimistic are you on getting it, having it get done before he actually hits uh, like the end of the season, like a restricted free agency? Yeah, I don't know. I keep going back and forth on this. Um, I think I'm definitely a bit more op optimistic ever since White resigned. Um, it was a bit surprising to see the news today. Um, with the Garriock article talking about contract talks uh, moving in the right direction. But yeah, I, I think a lot of players, 
usually want to only negotiate before or after the season. So if something doesn't get done, you know, in the next five weeks or something, then maybe things are put on hold. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it's definitely good news that White is staying. Having said that, Shabbat is a whole different animal. I mean, he is probably going to be wanting signing bonuses, and Eugene Melnick really doesn't do that. So that is definitely a bit worrisome. The offer sheet worries are, I don't know how real they are, but I think they're definitely on the table, especially just with the Senator's financial situation. So I think I think he will end up staying. I think there's a really good chance he'll end up staying because, I mean, what player wouldn't want to, you know, potentially be the captain of a team, of a young team um, who's up and coming. But, yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely be surprised if he ends up signing in the next five weeks. But, I mean, who knows? Maybe this is a, a new chapter where we actually get some good news. Yeah, and, and the thing with Shabbat is, like, like, and, and not just Shabbat, but all these RFAs, like, they really don't have much leverage here. And that's why we're seeing so many of these RFAs... Uh, that's mm-hmm. the reason why we're seeing so many of these current RFAs who are just uh, trying to maximize as much leverage as they can by by waiting the uh, by waiting it out basically. So uh, I wonder if Shabbat ends up being in that situation next year. I mean, it, it really seems like really uncommon that the Sens sign anybody within the the the, the first few weeks of uh, of the season or even the first few months. It's really just something that they haven't done. Like except for the only one I can think that comes to mind is Craig Anderson, who is uh, I mean, totally they might have done Mark Mathot too. I think. Yeah, th- th- there's a couple in there, but yeah. it's 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 never been RFAs. It's been it's been all these uh, UFAs that they yeah have, have kind of ended up being a bit too early in the process, anyways. Whereas uh, Shabbat, I mean, he's 22. He's he's basically a proven star in the league at this point. But it's just a matter of also like you mentioned signing bonuses, but like what's the line between a star player demanding signing bonuses and like I I, I don't know. For me, I just find that Shabbat hasn't is kind of straddling the line between that, whether he actually has a superstar power like uh, like the Mitch Marners and the Braden Points have right now to command mm-hmm. that much signing bonus money. But, um, if, I mean, if he puts up another monster year like he did last year, then I'm, I'm sure uh, he'll def- the negotiations will definitely be big for him. So, um, Well, I mean, that's why, if I was Shabbat, like, I would definitely be waiting because you're betting on yourself knowing that you can have an even better season and ask for, you know, one or two million dollars even more. So I, I would I find it kind of strange that he would even be entertaining an offer right now. Yeah. And and yeah, oh totally. And and like of course for all these players that are improving it's kind of uh it unless they're like really committed at staying in the city long term, then uh, which I mean is not really something a position that the sense are in to be right now, but unless they're in that kind of situation then uh it really feels un- uncommon, more and more uncommon right now that these RFAs will uh, sign prematurely. Um, and I mean, I keep circling back to the signing bonuses because if Shabbat ends up being offer sheeted, it'll really come down to the signing bonuses. And I, I mean, we saw Sebastian Aho and that offer sheet that Montreal gave them. And I mean, Carolina thankfully was able to, to pay that uh, to Aho um, because I, there, there were so many signing bonuses. It, it was basically like half the contract was paid in the yeah. first year, just, just based on how it was structured, which is insane. And if 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 anybody, if any team is willing to pony up that kind of um, contract structure for Ottawa, I mean, Melnick is just not anywhere near the place to be able to support that financially. Like the cost cutting, 
it would basically be a team with Colin White, Thomas Shabbat, and basically nobody else at that point if they, if they want to keep him. So, um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I can't think of any examples at the moment, but I feel like there have been examples of other big RFAs who haven't gone for signing bonuses money. I'm just getting an example up right now. I think it was Ryan Johansson. Yes, that's what I was thinking of. Ryan Johansson, who signed his eight-year, $8 million contract without signing bonuses. And this was only a couple years ago. So hmm. it's not too, like, like it's been too long. But uh, so like, even for these uh, upper echelon RFAs, it's not uh, um, too uncommon that uh, that they go without signing bonuses. So, um, I mean, they, they managed to accomplish it with Colin White. So maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe they can somehow convince Shabbat to do the same. Yeah, no, that's possible. And um what do you think he would end up getting? Because I would assume that Ottawa wants to keep him for the max term for eight years. Um, what do you think of for a cap hit? Like eight million, nine million? Um, yeah, I, I think eight million seems about right. I think uh, you look at the uh, Jacob Truba contract that was uh, uh, he just signed uh, recently. So if if he gets around that range, I mean, Shabbat's even younger too. So maybe they're they're buying up uh, uh, West UFA years. So. Um, yeah, it, it seems like that might be around the, the range. I don't, I don't know. Any different thoughts? No, yeah, I, I think somewhere in the eight number sounds right. Um, you know, Jacob Truba got eight million um, just, I, I guess, what a month or two ago. Yeah. Uh, so, and I would definitely put Shabbat above Jacob Truba. Obviously, Truba has more time in the NHL, and I think his... I think his league-wide perceived value is probably slightly higher than his actual value. Um, but yeah, I think Shabbat would definitely be deserving of over $8 million. Then again, like if he has a monster season, uh, he could be asking for even over 9 So I think the better... or Sorry, the, the earlier they can get this done, the better. Yeah, because I mean, Shabbat, from what we saw last year, it, it didn't seem like it was a fluke. It, he really seemed no. like he's the real deal at this point. There's nothing to to suggest otherwise so um and if he keeps growing from there i mean like watch out really it's uh he's going to be a great player for the next like decade plus so uh, yeah i mean that's going to command some the top dollars what's the put a percentage on the chance that he isn't with ottawa next season let's let's just go real dark here <laughs> oh uh, for going dark uh i'll, I'll put maybe 12 percent odds whoa that's pretty high I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of, it's, it's total stab in the dark right here. Yeah. But, I was uh, going to say like four or five. Okay. I see. Yeah. I, I feel like it, with offer sheets are so rare. And mm-hmm. if there was, if there was no offer sheets, um, like the one from Sebastian Aho this past year, I'd probably put the odds at like 2% or even yeah, lower. True. But this, what that, that Aho offer sheet shows me that teams are at least thinking about it and teams are at least considering it. And, and, uh, yeah, uh, just please, just as as long as it's not Montreal tendering the offer sheet. Oh God! If Shabbat's still unsigned on July first, I I'm not going to be able to handle that. That's just going to be, you know, you're just going to fear every single day. You're going to see the news about him getting offer sheeted. So I just pray that he's signed before then. Oh yeah, totally. And just every every day that, every day that goes by without a contract just feels like that odd goes up just slightly with slightly more. So. Yeah, exactly. The sooner they get it done, the better. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. 
This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah. Now, one of the other moves that happened, um, I think this was right after our last episode. So it's been a while since since that happened, but we haven't touched on it. And that was the trade with the Chicago Blackhawks where Ottawa sent Zach Smith and received Artem Anisimov straight up. Kind of a weird move that came out of nowhere. But um, I think most people agreed that Ottawa got the better end of this deal, even though it's we know the motivations and it's not like the team actually got that much better. But don't think you can really complain too much with the move, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, they did this a couple times, and uh, this is something we've been calling for pretty much uh, uh, for all, all year is for the Sens to kind of utilize their cap space in a way so that they can get better assets. And, I mean, it was not like they got, like, picks or, put, or like, a young player in it. They just got Artem Amidisimov, who's a better player than Zach Smith. But, again, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it's, 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 in, it's, it's just another chapter in the whole line of Sens trying to... Uh, um, cut costs on their own while also uh, leveraging their cap space in the same way. So uh, they got Chicago out of cap trouble, which uh, Chicago desperately needed. Um, but they also got out of Zach Smith's uh, contract, which is going on for uh, for longer than Anisimov. So, or is it? Am I am I, th- am I thinking wrong? Are they both expiring after this year? They both have two seasons left. Right, they both have two seasons left. So. Yeah. Um, Anisimov has the higher cap hit, but I'm pretty sure Smith has the higher salary because Anisimov's bonus was paid, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, so and that's that's the biggest thing with this deal that everyone noticed, and you know it, it's impossible not to talk about is the fact that Ottawa actually, you know, so so with this trade they got closer to, well I think they were already over the the salary cap floor anyway, um, but they got the bigger cap hit. But Melnick doesn't have to pay as much because Anisimov's bonus was already paid, so it works out in both in both ways. Um, and yeah, obviously, like you were saying, I'd rather have Anisimov as a player. Uh, then again, I I do think his previous name value is probably higher than you know how good he actually is right now. Like he's more of a bottom six player. He's not really that great. Um, I think his value probably went up because he was playing with Patrick Kane a couple seasons ago. But, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of a whatever deal. Um, he, he's I think still the, serviceable. Yeah, he's still serviceable, for sure. And, like, to be fair, so was Smith to an extent. Yeah, I mean, to, to a lesser extent of that, I mean, he really didn't seem... Not for the to, cost. Yeah, for, not for the cost, but even by the end of last year, he really didn't seem like he was contributing much offensively or defensively, at, at least to, to uh, at least by my eye. So... Um, if we get someone like Anisimov, who can at least, uh, I don't know, I, I honestly don't know too much about Anisimov, and it's kind of hard to suss out his stats because he was playing with guys like Patrick Kane so much. But if if, if he can contribute at least a bit more offensively, I mean, it's good, good, good on him. I mean, like it's not yeah. like the season really matters at all much for for the Sens uh, uh, in, in the standings, but uh, yeah. And who knows? I mean, I doubt it, but. Maybe they can even make a trade where they retain a bit of salary and get a draft pick for him or something. But that's maybe pushing it a bit. Yeah, and I mean it's also nice they got at least something for Smith. Like yeah, like, I was it, I was surprised it, actually. 
like it was just at the beginning of the season he was placed on waivers and nobody claimed him. So and it's not like he really improved as the season went on either. So um, it it really was just a whole another cap hit move. I mean, credit where it's due to Dorian. I mean, it takes some creativity to actually find all these uh, uh, players who would get their signing bonuses paid and then trade the day after. <laughs> and he's, he's, yeah. he's done this a fair amount. It goes all the way back yes. to the Broussard for Zibanejad trade, right? Or, mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, he's got some creativity. I'll give him that. But, yeah. I mean, we Do know... Do you want to yeah. guess? Just, oh, sorry, go ahead. We know he's just following orders from Monik at this point. Oh, totally. And I'm sure Melnick loves that. Um, okay, guess how many games Zach Smith played with the Senators because it is wild. What? Um, is it is it over five hundred? I don't know. Guess, guess. I'm gonna guess. Okay, I, I'm total going in the dark here. I'm gonna go something like five hundred and eighty. I mean, pretty close. Six hundred twelve. Oh man, that's crazy. So his first game. I mean, he only played one game in this season. But he played his first game all the way back in 2008-2009 with the Senators. Yeah. That's like, that's a decade he spent with the team. Yeah. Oh, he was still part of the uh, Binghamton Senators, their Calder Cup yeah. run, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. So that was his third season that he was, I mean, he mostly actually played, he played 55 games for Ottawa that year and only 22 in Binghamton, although he did play in the playoffs. So, yeah, this, he was one of the most tenured senators um totally yeah you know, besides actually he might have actually was he the the longest he might have been he, he might just have been because but... anderson came after borvieski came after ryan came after i think he might have been yeah it's w- w- weird to think but i mean the yeah. sense the sense beard game just uh went down a few notches too so totally uh, yeah. fantastic beard good good uh good looking dude all right uh so I guess following that trend of uh, cost-cutting moves that the Sens made, I mean, there's so many of them the Sens uh, like to do. Um, Ryan Callahan acquired from the Sens uh, for Mike Condon. And, uh, yeah, uh, am I missing anything on that trade? Um, I, it, the, it's, it, it's really been a while at this point. Yeah, so the, the picks, they swapped. So Ottawa got the right. Tampa's fifth-round pick. And they gave up their sixth round pick, which literally could be the difference between one spot if Tampa wins the cup and Ottawa finishes dead last, which is hilarious. Okay, I, I thought it was felt it felt like one for one, but yeah, there was that pick swap in there that yes. really just seems irrelevant at this point. It's, it's, uh, oh yeah, uh, yeah, it, it it feels like less than a throw in basically. It, yeah, it, it's not even like oh here's a fourth and we'll give you a seventh. It's it's even less than that. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, it really just feels like another cost-cutting move. Um, again, very similar to um, the Anisimov trade. It just uh, they got the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning out of some uh, cap trouble. Um, I mean, Callahan has a career-ending back injury, so he's not even going to be playing this year. Uh, I mean, if you look at the Sens like roster, I mean, they could have been really good in like uh, what, like 2006, 2007. But yeah, Gabbert, Callahan, Bobby Car- Ryan, Bobby Ryan, yeah. <laughs> Enough, yeah, man, yeah, but it, it, it for, for me, it wasn't even the main goal was cost cutting. I think it was just getting rid of Mike Condon just because there's such a goalie log jam right now in uh Belleville that uh just freeing that up, freeing up that extra spot for all their goalie prospects really seems like it will have some value uh throughout the season, totally. And um, you know, at, at first it, it looked like 
oh, Ottawa's actually paying more on this deal. But in fact, that's false. Um, Callahan's cap hit is $4.7 million. But uh, with insurance, they'll actually be saving uh, saving some money on this deal. And you're right. Th- this isn't really about, um, you know, the NHL roster or anything about that. It, all it is, is is making sure that Joey Decord, Philip Gustafson, and Marcus Hogberg actually have a decent amount of playing time in the AHL. And yeah, I mean, that's it's a fine move. It's kind of too bad they couldn't get like a first or second round pick in order to take on Callahan's contract. I mean, Carolina got a first to, to take on Marlowe. So yeah, it's a bit disappointing there. Then again, it's nice that they didn't have to give up an asset at all to move Condon. So it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a wash there. Yeah, I mean, it was really just as much of a financial move for the Lightning as it was for the Sens at this point. But yeah, it was really the one that kind of really vaulted them underneath the cap pit at this, uh, underneath the cap floor, just because like they're saving so much money, like in every single trade, like with other teams paying signing bonuses and uh, produce yeah. salaries. I, I think they're paying something like 20, 20 million. It's got to be less after the Colin White contract, but something probably close to like fifteen million underneath the cap underneath the cat floor which is just yeah like it, was, absolutely it was around wild. like i think with the white contract now it'd be around 50 million dollars or something like that which is yeah it, it's totally insane for an nho team to be able to like basically circumvent the salary cap system oh yeah that. but uh yeah again kudos to the creativity but it's not really going to help the team win so no and uh like i was saying i'm sure Melnick loves Dorian for all these moves, but um, yeah, we, we, I don't think anybody really sees through them as, as much as Dorian is, is going to say otherwise, but yeah. Um, so now I wanted to look at the roster heading into the season. There are, there's going to be so much competition, both at forward and defense. Um, there's, I remember looking at the, the roster and there was, I think, uh, was there 11 or 9? There was either 9 or 11 locks at forward and then the opposite. So there was like 20 people vying for 13 spots at forward and like 8 or 9 vying for 7 spots on D. It's going to be incredibly tight. And it was going to be really interesting to watch training camp and, and preseason as well. So I wanted to go over what our projected lineups look like. This isn't what we want the lineups to look like, but sort of more what we think will happen, at least on opening night. Um, so I guess you can go over your four lines and defense pairings, and then we'll talk about how ours would differ, maybe. All right. Well, I have my first line as Brady Kachuk, Colin White, and Connor Brown. Um, I think we both have Kachuk and White at that same spot. That's where they played last season. And I kind of have, with the departure of Mark Stone, I mean, there's such a gaping hole there. I have Connor Brown there, but, like, it really could be anyone else, like Robbie Ryan or Drake Batherson. It just seems like Connor Brown is uh, someone that they're really singing his praises right now, and they want to give him uh, a good opportunity out of the gate, see what he can do with uh, top players in the top six. So uh, I currently have him there right now. Um, and also, uh, another reason for that is because my second line is Anthony Duclair, Chris Tierney, and Bobby Ryan. Uh, Tierney and Ryan played together for the majority of last season. Uh, whether DJ Smith likes to keep that uh, from what Guy Boucher was doing, I'm not sure. I, I actually don't think they were that, that, effect, that effective together, but um, 
maybe they'll stay together. Anthony DeClaire have on the left wing just because, I mean, he's clearly the second best left winger on the team right now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, third line, I have Pajot at center uh, with Drake Batherson and Tyler Ennis. So uh, Batherson, I think, will get a good shot out of the gate. Um, you'll notice on my defense, I have Brandstrom in there as well. So I think that the Sens are really going to try and push those two players as as being uh, um, uh, full-time roster players right out of the gate. Uh, Tyler Ennis, I have there just because, I don't know, there, there, there's a whole bunch of wingers that could fill out uh, both that left wing spot on the third line or like the, yeah. the, the last two on, on the fourth line. So um, I, I don't know. He really could just be a fourth liner based on the salary they, they got him at. But uh, um, fourth line, I have Rudolf Spalsers, Artem Adisimov, and Nick Paul. Uh, I think Paul makes the team out of camp. I think that they want to give him a good shot. And uh, I, I was actually decently impressed, even though he didn't have the point tools to show for it. Um, Anisimov, he's just there because he's, I don't know, he's Anisimov. There's a lot of these designers that really feel like they could be interchanged to like anywhere, <laughs> basically. So, um, And Rudolf Spalsers, I think that he really proved to Pierre Dorian that he deserved a roster spot at the end of last year. And um, I have thir- 13th forward is Mikhail Bodker, and I had, he just really didn't seem to fall out of favor with the sense by the end of the year. So I feel like uh, uh, Nick Paul and Rudolf Spalsers will both end up being Bodker out of camp. So do you want to go over your forwards first and, and see where we go there? Yeah, for sure. So so we have the same center and left wings on the first two lines. I think that's pretty kind of set in stone with Kachuk and White and then Declare and Tierney. I think those are pretty obvious. Um, I put Bobby Ryan on my top line with Kachuk and White. I feel like they might just want, you know, a veteran presence in the top six. Um, and then I have Batherson on the second line, just, you know, wanting to push one rookie in the top six. I think that's that's totally fair. And I think eventually Batherson will deserve a spot on the top line, and that'll probably happen. Um, third line, I also have Ennis and Pajot. Uh, but then on the right side, I have Connor Brown. I think, I mean, he's pretty much just an average third line player. So I think he fits there pretty well. And I think that could actually be a solid third line, like a solid defensive third line and as Peugeot and Connor Brown. Um, Yeah. yeah. And uh, fourth line, I have Nick Paul, Artem Anisimov and Jonathan Davidson. Um, Same thing with Paul. I think they will want to give him a chance, sort of pretty much a last chance. I mean, he's already, I want to say he's 24. I think he was a 95 birthday. Um, so, you know, he's getting up there in age. He, I would love to have him as the fourth line center. I think he's very solid defensively and I think he would do that job pretty well, but it's, there's not many spots available. Um, but I guess they'll see what he can do. Anisimov, same thing. Just what what you were saying, just there because, um, Davidson, I'm sticking with that one. I'm going with that, that off the board prediction. I, I just think they will, see him as a, a prospect that is NHL ready right now. Um, you know, he's been playing against men in the SHL for the past three seasons. So I think, I think he can fill that spot on the fourth line, got low expectations. And then Bodker as my 13th. And that's tough because I had to leave out Balsers. I had to leave out Logan Brown. I think both of those guys are deserving. And I kind of even think Philip Schlopik is somewhat deserving as well. So those are like three guys that I really want in there that I can't. You could even add guys like Josh Norris or even like... Uh, there, there's, there's, 
Alex Forbinton in that group. Yeah, let's just say that the people of in Belleville are going to have uh, a nice team to watch this year. At, the, at least, at the, oh yeah, at the beginning. So, yeah, um, yeah, I definitely agree. I think that Davidson has a good shot actually out of camp. It's just a matter of having to beat out these other players. So, um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like he'll definitely be in the NHL at some point within uh, the next season, whether it's only for maybe a twenty games, like a 10, 20 game stint, but. Um, I, he could just be an injury call, but uh, I don't know. Right out of camp maybe seems a bit uh, too far. So uh, just for defense, do you want to start with the defense? Sure, yeah. Um, so first pairing, I I think uh, DJ Smith will keep Shabbat and Demela together. Maybe that's wishful thinking, but that was, I mean, that pairing worked so well last year, so I think they're going to stay together. Um, and then I got Christian Wolanin with Nikita Zaitsev, um, you know, Smith was singing singing Zaitsev's praises, so uh, I think he'll keep him in the top six, or sorry, the top four. And then third pairing, Mark Borowiecki with Ron Hainsey. I can't imagine Hainsey being out of the lineup early in the season. That will probably change, you know, sort of in like a Johnny Oduya type later as the season goes on. He'll get scratched a bit more. And then Christian Yaros is the seventh. I'm sure he'll swap in with Borowiecki, and then Hainsey can go to the left side. Um, but... Uh, we can go over your pairings in a sec, and I could totally see your scenario too. So it's it's kind of up in the air. I I don't really know how I don't really know how he's uh, Smith is going to deploy Hainsey because that could really throw a wrench in things. Yeah, I, I'm kind of yeah. I, my pairings are definitely very different. I'm a bit more pessimistic overall on some players and a bit more optimistic on others. So I think. My first pairing, I have Thomas Shabbat and Ron Hainsey. And as soon as I saw Ron Hainsey's name is being signed to the center and, and that cap hit, <laughs> that was the first thing that came to mind is Ugh. Thomas Shabbat, Ron Hainsey, top pairing, defense core. It just seems like the exact same type of thing that DJ Smith will do. Um, Ron Hainsey is like that veteran anchor to Thomas Shabbat. And I say anchor intentionally because, I mean, let's face it, Hainsey is pretty washed at this point. But yeah. uh, but DJ Smith will continue to use him like he has in the past. So, um, uh, second pair, I have Nikita Zaitsev there. I feel like that's a pretty good given for the exact same reasons that you gave. But I have Eric Brandstrom making the NHL out of camp, and I will do that for the same. Re- I'll say that for the same reason I said Drake Batherson. Eric Brandstrom just seems like a guy that like everyone in the organization is and is like completely enamored with right now. From DJ Smith to Pierre Dorian, it feels like. Even if he doesn't, even though his numbers in the AHL didn't seem all that, uh, were like only okay last year. Even compared, even for someone who's supposed to be an offensive defenseman, they they just they just watch him all the time, and and it seems like they 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 just from how they describe him, they just sounds like yeah. They, I mean, they, they praise him so much, it just sounds like there's no way he'll be starting in the AHL this year, which. I could totally see how they would take that route as well if they want to uh, see how he develops in the AHL and then maybe bring him up. Uh, I could see that, but for me, I just think they're that high on him that they'll start him uh, right with uh, right with Nikita Zaitsev on the second pairing. Yeah, and third pairing, I have Mark Borowiecki with Dylan DeMello. Uh, I think DeMello gets uh, bumped down because of Ron Hainsey, and Borowiecki will be that guy who DJ Smith will just end up falling in love with. So. Um, that ends up leaving, unfortunately, it leaves Christian Lennon out of the lineup, who I actually really enjoy, but I just feel like with DJ Smith's uh, way of um, playing players and the way he likes uh, the system to work, I just don't see Christian Lennon 
fitting into that. I think we might have talked about this in a previous episode, but yeah, he just doesn't seem like someone that uh, um, who's definitely has some lacking, uh, whose ability is definitely lacking defensively, but he makes up for it offensively, and that doesn't really seem like the players that uh, uh, Smith has really favored in the past. So um, Christian Yaros as well, I kind of have him on the fourth pairing, I guess you could say. Maybe he even starts in the AHL. Like, keep in mind, he's still on a two-way contract. The same thing with Christian mm-hmm. Lennon. They signed him to a two-way deal. I think that was pretty intentional. If maybe he even starts in the AHL, uh, just to see what uh, he can do. So um, it's unfortunate those two are left up because I definitely think that uh, those two Christians have uh, the potential to be a great, like potential even uh, middle pairing defense core, or middle pairing for the Suns defense for like maybe the next while. But uh, I don't know. That's just my thoughts on it right now. Yeah, and yeah, we we did talk about Smith maybe souring on Willannon just because it's it's rare for NHL coaches to you know have three really offensive defensemen like Shabbat, Branstrom, and Willannon all on one side you know I think it would be perfect if that's what happened moving forward but you're right it, it seems like it might just be one of Branstrom or Willannon and then just having Borvieski or Hainsey or whatever on the on the third pairing I see the Brandstrom thing a bit differently. You know, obviously the organization has been singing his praises for quite a while now, and rightfully so. He's a very good player. He's, I think he's going to be, you know, he's a blue chip prospect, and I, th- I think he's going to end up being very solid for the Senators. But I feel like they're going to keep him in Belleville to begin the season, at least. I mean, that might only be 10, 15 games. I think he's definitely going to be the first call up um, when there's an injury. And I think there's a decent chance that, say, I don't know, Hainsey gets injured or whatever, and Branstrom comes up, he might just keep that spot um, after playing in 10 NHL games because he's just too good and they can't keep him in Belleville for for too long. I don't think there's also uh, a need to rush him necessarily. I would have rather um, not have signed Hainsey just so it would have been easier for Branstrom to make the team. But... Yeah, I, I think he's just going to force his way onto the team at some point, but I could definitely see them. I mean, even Eric Carlson in his rookie season played, what was it, 10 games in the AHL or something? So I wouldn't be surprised if he spent at least a bit of time there. Yeah, and I could definitely see that too. And it's something I've been totally torn. I've, I've been very torn on as well. But uh, yeah, I, I just see how much they talk about him and how much they really uh, want to play him. And. I feel like that they they know that it'll be inevitable that he'll force his way onto the roster at some point. So like they may as well just start him at the beginning. And like you look at last season, they, they weren't afraid to start players, uh, young players at the beginning of the season either. Like you look at what they did with uh, Max Glejois at the very very beginning. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I I see that. Uh, I mean, I definitely have uh, Branstrom. I I think he's definitely a step ahead of Glejois in terms of his development too. So. Um, yeah, it, the, and also the situation is different this year because they already have Shabbat. They also have Borvietsky and Bolenin. And like Shabbat wasn't even a guarantee to uh, like make be the first pairing last year. Like, like he he was still kind of starting yeah. off in in a smaller role. So and worked his way up to that. So um, yeah, it, it's uh, definitely going to be a flexible situation, I think. But uh, yeah, I, I'm more willing to uh, to bet on Branson starting. But I think that we're just going to go on to goaltending at this point. That's the last position that, position that we need to cover. So I feel like it's pretty... Uh, I think we're on the same page here in that uh, Craig Anderson will be the starter. 
Nielsen will be the backup. Maybe not even just a starter backup. He'll probably be a 1A, 1B type situation, see how things work out. But, uh, I mean, it's probably going to be flexible the entire season, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I could actually see it being like a you know 55%, 45% type thing where Nielsen might actually end up getting more games during some stretches if he's if he's getting hot. Um, so, yeah, it, I mean, Anderson's getting up there in age. I think he's, what, 38 now? So, yeah, it's not like Nielsen's that great of a goalie, but, you know, Anderson can't have too big of a uh, workload, especially considering the past two seasons he hasn't even been a good goaltender anyway. Yeah, and it's not like... Uh... We can count on both goalies being healthy the entire year either. I mean, the Suns have run into goalie trouble uh, with injuries in, well, pretty frequently, like like Mike Conning last year. That was definitely uh, yeah. fall off, falling off a cliff. So if one of those two go down, uh, I mean, they have Marcus Hogberg who's right there. I have been of the opinion for for a while now that Hogberg could be an NHL goalie. And the only reason his stats have not looked good in the, in the AHL is because, uh, I mean, he's had to play in front of the defense scores assembled by Randy Lee, which really is to say that... Uh, Pretty, some pretty terrible defense he's had to play mm-hmm. in front of. So, um, you look at what is he did in the SHL even. He had uh, pretty amazing numbers there, and that's in pro hockey in, in Sweden. So, um, I, I'm totally of the opinion that he could be playing NHL hockey this year if, if a goalie goes down. And I think you had in one of your recent posts, one of your bold predictions was that Marcus Hopeberg would have more games than Craig Anderson. And mm-hmm. I looked yeah. at that one, and that was my favorite one. I was like, <laughs> Go Marcus Hopeberg. Like, yeah. Like, it's not like it's not like I'm hoping Craig Anderson gets gets injured. It seems like it just seems like a very plausible thing to happen where Hopeberg ends up uh, taking the reins as that uh, backup job. And I guess that's why they uh, outlined his contract in that way too, in uh, in trying to get him to play more games uh, maybe next year. But um, if that happens this year, I mean, all the better. Yeah. No. I I think my exact prediction was. For him to play 20 games and Anderson, I think 18. Uh, you know, if Anderson just gets hurt early on, like in the fall or something, that's you know, like you said, I think that's a pretty plausible scenario. And then Hogberg hopefully uh, is at least decently capable as the backup to Nielsen. Um, so yeah, like like you're saying, I don't really hope that Anderson gets injured. Then again, it's impossible to not acknowledge the fact that that's the only way that Hogberg is getting playing time or if Nielsen gets hurt too, right? Oh yeah. Which is, which is unfortunate. I mean, unless, unless they end up trading Anderson and remember like he yeah. had, that tra- he had that trade request back a while uh, too. So who knows if uh, he's still hoping on that, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Shall we get to listener questions? Yeah, for sure. You guys really came in with the listener questions this week. Uh, really grateful for everyone that submitted questions. So uh, yeah, let's get to the first one. Yeah. So um, let's go here. Um, no particular order. I'm just reading them um, first from at the top on the Cosper Pointcast um, account, which you can follow at CP Pointcast. Uh, so the first one comes in from Bronson at B underscore Aquaman. He says, recently read Trevor's worst case scenario for the season, and it very much fit in with my expectations. What is your strategy for staying positive this upcoming season? Ooh, for me? Uh, I mean... It's kind of a love-hate relationship already with the Suns. I don't know if it's hard. It's going to be hard, but uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I love the prospects and I love the 2020 draft. And I've already latched onto the 2020 draft pretty hard. I've been following that pretty yeah, closely. Same. So um, that's something I'll be doing a lot of. I've already been tracking lots and lots of rankings. I have some even analytical stuff that's kind of coming up on that. So uh, 
that, that'll be my kind of, it's not staying positive from, from the sense, it's more so distracting myself from the sense. So, uh, in, and I guess in that sense, uh, that'll keep me busy in the hockey season. They're pretty much guaranteed a top five pick too. I mean, that this draft class is incredible. So I think that's way easier this season, you know, hoping for some losses, uh, cheering on for the tank, whereas last season you couldn't, and that was just hell. Yeah, for sure. Whereas, uh, yeah, this this year, I don't know, pour l'avenir, or I don't know, Quinton Byfield looks pretty mm-hmm. great. And uh, I mean, I've I've talked about Dylan Peterson a couple of times. He seems like the exact kind of guy the Sens would go after, no matter what pick. <laughs> he's American. He played in Ottawa, so that's an interesting combo. <laughs> um, I mean, he's like six foot four already. He's a centerman. Um, he has everything going for him of like a typical Sens draft pick. So. Uh, um, that'll be someone I'll be looking out for, but, uh, yeah, let's get to the next question. This one comes from Spencer Blake, friend of the show. Um, so you have a couple questions. Uh, where do you think Davidson starts and ends the season? So let's start with that one. Where do you think, uh, Davidson starts and ends? I think you kind of went over that, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll stick with my prediction. I've stuck with this for like the past month. I think he starts, I bet you he ends in the season too. I'm just, you know, I, not that I'm necessarily like a huge believer in his game. I think he's like decent i think he's fine i think he could be a bottom six player but i feel like they'll think he's the most ready out of all their prospects so they'll keep him up yeah uh, um i mean i think you're definitely more interested more uh optimistic with davidson than i am i feel like mm-hmm. he'll be kind of one of those players who will get uh i mean i think he'll definitely get a good look in training camp but uh, i see him more as like a, a guy who can get 10 to 20 maybe 25 games if like just to, just throughout stints throughout the year for injury call-ups whereas uh there's going to be some pretty heavy competition on that right side. I even look at uh, yes. guys like uh, like even Jack Rodewald or um, oh, who am I thinking of? There's one other person. Max Verano, who's going to be fighting. Yeah, Max spot. Verano. Totally forgot about him. Even, even Vitaly uh, Abramov, I think, could yeah. uh, maybe even challenge for a spot there, too, if he can put his things together. So, yeah, lots of options. Um, I mean, I think you definitely like Davidson a bit more than I do, even though I am definitely a Davidson fan. I think he definitely brings some great energy to the game and great speed. I mean, imagine him and Formerton on the wing, so that'd yes. be pretty amazing. But um, continuing with Spencer's questions, uh, you have a few questions here, but how quickly will Hogberg be recalled to injury relief, injury relief most likely? Um, and I'll take this one. I think it's just that, uh, I mean, it'll, it'll depend on whenever... The, someone gets injured. I mean, even if Hogwarts starts playing his mind in the AHL, I think it'll be a place that they'll have to keep him just because there's only so uh, yeah. few goalie spots. Um, I don't know, anything different? No, yeah, probably early November. He'll be up for an injury. Yeah, and continuing from Spencer, is Alex Formerton going to stick past nine games or get some AHL time first? Because this is a player we haven't really mentioned yet in either of our yeah. lineups, which may be surprising to some listeners. I don't think he begins the year in Ottawa. I can see him playing maybe like 10, 15 games just called up throughout the season. Um, I would like to see him kind of marinate in, in the AHL for this season. Like to, I really think he needs to refine his offensive game. Um, and his speed is there. I just don't think he's totally ready offensively. Yeah, I, I agree there. I think uh, there's uh, his hands definitely need, still need to catch up to uh, the rest of his uh, his uh, toolkit, which is probably his skating. Um, but I also feel like Thornton was definitely a very Guy Boucher guy. Guy Boucher was just so enamored with with his speed that uh, yeah, you, could, you couldn't help but keep him up, even even if he wasn't really ready with the rest of his game. So uh, yeah, I think he'll spend his entire year in the HL. Maybe get that uh, 
five to ten game call up at the end of the year if uh, the Sens are really just not doing well at all. So, uh, uh, or if even more players get traded at the trade deadline. But uh, yeah, and last question from Spencer: Who is your favorite listener, and why is it me, Spencer? Yeah, we love you, man. We got to get you on we the show you. sometime. <laughs> oh yeah, Spencer's the best. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll take the next one here. Uh, comes in from Alan, and he says. Given that Ottawa has White, Anisimov, Tierney, and Peugeot down the middle, how can Logan Brown get into the lineup? Um, and you can take that one. Yeah, wow. I mean, there's uh, another player that we haven't mentioned in either of our lineups who like really mm-hmm. could be fighting for a spot in camp. But yeah, when, when they traded for Anisimov, I mean, that was kind of seemed it kind of seemed like a bit of a, um, a side effect of the trade, just because Smith could play left wing, Anisimov seems like he'll be playing center all year. So um, I see him as like the first injury call-up. If either of those four guys get hurt, it'll be Logan Brown right up. Um, it could be Philip Schwapik, maybe, but I feel like Logan Brown will be uh, that guy. So from there, he'll just really need to prove himself. If uh, he if he wants to really keep a spot throughout the year, he'll just have to show everyone that uh, um, he'll earn it. I mean, maybe some of the one of the other four centers um, just really falls off like uh, Mikhail Bakker did last year, and that makes it easier on Brown, but I feel like... Uh, It'll really be a, a bit of an uphill battle for Logan Brown this season. I mean, I would just yeah, in the sense that like he has he's already pretty much proven himself in the AHL. It'd be great to mm-hmm. see him have like a Batherson type year in the AHL. But uh, yeah, well, speaking of Batherson, I would just love to see the two of them play together because they had such great chemistry down totally. in Belleville, and I I just really hope that Brown doesn't get stuck on the fourth line if he gets called up to Ottawa because that's not really fair to him. I mean, he's not. He's not going to be a fourth line player if he is an NHLer. So I think he deserves a decent shot if he actually does come up at some point. Whether that's, I mean, even at, at least the third line. Um, but he's got to have some competent line mates when he comes up. Yeah, totally. And uh, I guess semi-related. I think we kind of covered this a bit, but this question comes in from Nathan King. Uh, how many games do you think uh, Branston plays this year in the NHL? And I'm, I think I'm, I'm kind of. Uh, Taking the da- your Davidson stance here, but I think that yes. <laughs> I, I think that uh, Brandstrom will get at least sixty games in the NHL this year. Ooh. I think he'll start there right away, and uh, he'll just continue to uh, play throughout the year. Uh, hopefully, he'll see. Hopefully, he stays healthy. Um, yeah, that's kind of my take on this. I really hope so. I mean, that that'd be really nice. I'm gonna say like thirty five or so. Um, I just think. I mean, they have other guys. I. We've only briefly mentioned Max Lajoie, but I'm sure he'll get a few games here or there as well. So it's it's not like Brandstrom just has to play well and then he'll get called up. I mean, there's still a lot of bodies on this roster. So um, I hope you're right, though. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, another question. We have so many questions today. Thank you so much again for yeah. submitting them. This one comes from uh, uh, Gab de France. Uh, how would you rank Davidson, Balsers, and Verano in terms of upside? I would probably go Balsers. Ooh. And uh, Balsers, Davidson, Verano. Although Davidson and Verano are maybe kind of close. Um, Balsers has definitely been quite solid in the AHL. And I think he can be like a, a good tweener, second, third line player who. Uh, Maybe puts up 40 to 45 points. But, um, yeah, he's, he's been a good goal scorer, so I like him. I don't think he's, you know, 
you don't really want him to be like the key piece in an Eric Carlson deal, but you know, it's, it's still good to, he, he's still a good player to have. Yeah, for sure. And I, I agree with your ranking there too, although I have it probably a bit more distinct, even though again, I have them all kind of in the same tier of prospects. Yeah. I think ball mm-hmm. is, is uh, nicely proven in the NHL at this point, even though it's only like 20 plus or 20 so games, but he, I mean, he dominated in the AHL last year too. So it's uh it would be nice to see him uh, uh, get a full-time roster spot. Uh, Davidson, uh, yeah, I mean, we talked about him already. And Verano, I, th- I just see him as a bit of an older prospect at this point. Um, yeah. TSC has a couple years on Davidson, so I feel like Davidson ha- has even more room to grow. And, of course, Davidson's already played against pro competition, too. So uh, um, even though I don't think Davidson has quite the offensive upside that uh, Balsers has, uh, i definitely uh, put him above Verano, too. Mm-hmm. So we have a few more here. Um, this one comes in from Joe at Strosho underscore six. He says, what is your opinion of Formington? I see a lot of people hyping him up, but from what I've seen, I don't buy the hype. Um, I mean, I think I've definitely been lower on Formington than many others seem to be. And yeah, I, I think, again, it's just because of like, he, you can have the speed, but like at the same time, it kind of acts as a detriment to him in a way, just because the rest of his play uh, playing ability just really hasn't caught up. And it seemed like it did for some parts of the last season, but um, it really has not been consistent at all. So like I, I say like it, it can be a detriment in the sense that like he can really make turnovers and I really fear for how it could affect him defensively because even though he... he is decent on the back check. Like he just doesn't really ha- know what to do once he gets back. Like he just has these incredible rockets for feet, and I just don't see how he's been able to tie that into his toolkit so far. So speed is as important as ever, like of course. But um, to have just speed, and nothing else. I mean, it's uh, it, it definitely seems like uh, he needs to round his game out a bit more, which I think he can accomplish in the AHL this year. I know people don't want to hear this, but Reminds me so much of Curtis Lazar when he's within 10, 15 feet of the net. I mean, like, it just seems like that's the only place he's going to score. Um, you know, he just he just didn't look that great in the offensive zone um, in a few games that he's played with Ottawa. He, he really needs some refining, like I was saying earlier. And I honestly wonder how highly he would be rated among Senators fans if he had never played in those few games the past couple seasons. Just because you know that puts you on an on a national scale, and um, whereas someone like I can't think of an, anyone off the top of my head, but if someone had spent the last couple seasons in Europe, hadn't played in any um, regular season games, they you know no one is really watching them as much. So I definitely think he's a bit overhyped by some fans. Doesn't mean he's a bad prospect though. I still like him but I wouldn't peck him as like some future first or maybe even like, I think he's got a chance to be a second line player, but even that's not a guarantee. Totally. And even with guys like Branstrom and Batherson, I would definitely say Forbidden is the Sens' most exciting and electric prospect just based on that speed. Interesting. Alone. <laughs> uh, Cause like David, like guys like uh, um, Batherson and Branstrom, they, they, they're elite prospects because they're just so well-rounded and they do so much well. Whereas Formanton, he does one thing like extremely well to the point where he's in the top one. Uh, he's probably in the top. He's definitely in the top one percent of NHLers when it comes to skating. And even though he's not even in the NHL yet, like he's just that good at what he does. And it's uh, 
if he does make the NHL full time, I mean, he'll be an absolute treat to watch. Even if he just, uh, even if it just means him like rocketing down the <laughs> the offensive zone for a couple times a game, I mean, it'll be a yeah, like the, probably well, the hi- the highlight of the game at that point. So I think um, a good comparison and like a, I would be happy with him turning into someone like Michael Grabner. That, that that's interesting. Yeah, I, I could definitely uh, envision that. Yeah, you know, just someone super fast who sometimes is able to score 20, maybe even 25 goals. I think he had a 30-goal season once. Um, but, you know, sort of in that 40-point range. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, do you have any other questions? Uh, yeah, I see two more. Um, this one comes in from Alex at Sad Senators Fan. That's a, that's a good handle. Um, he says, I love how this thread is all about prospects because we have nothing else. <laughs> and he goes, just a quick one here. How do you think the goalie situation will be next year, i.e. who plays on each team, and how good do you think my boy Sogard will be? Ooh, um, I feel like the odd man out at this point is going to be a battle between Gustafsson or Decord for the ECHL. Because it feels inevitable at this point that someone will start in the ECHL, which is unfortunate. And, uh, I mean, I love Decord so much that I'm willing to bet on him to be the one to stay, although... uh, I mean, Gustafsson, he already spent his last year in, in the uh, AHL and even a bit in the ECHL. So, um, yeah. Gustafsson's also two years younger. So, like, that's not... I mean, it's it, it makes a decent amount of sense to have Decord in Belleville instead. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, it, it really could go either way at this point, but it seems like Hulkberg will be the starter in the AHL. Um, and if... Uh, I mean, if someone gets injured in the NHL, then that means... Uh, Whoever's playing ECHL gets caught up to the AHL too, so it's a it's a nice domino effect. So mm-hmm. <laughs> again, we're not again we're, we aren't hoping that anybody gets injured, but uh, if it ends up being that way, then I mean it will have a, a nice effect on on uh, it. It will clear up some space for that uh, uh, goalie depth chart. So uh, as for Mad Sogards, I really don't have too strong an opinion on him right now. I actually have him as the uh, um, if you're ranking the four sense goalie prospects, I have Hogberg, Decord, then. Sogard than Gustafson and just I mean I honestly just don't know too much about Sogard at this point I haven't really done too too much digging but all I know is that he's huge and put up good numbers in the WHL last year if he can improve his lateral movement it seems that he'll be a great goalie but um, hopefully he won't have to rely on his size too much uh, if he wants to uh, uh, progress to the next level to be a, a good starter even backup or uh, a good pro in the in the in the National Hockey League. Yeah, I think I might have also had him third amongst those four goalie prospects. Interesting prospect. Um, it'll be it'll be nice having him back in Medicine Hat, was it? I think, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'll uh, you know have some good coverage of him in North America. So he's super young. So um, yes, that's even if he has true. one bad season, you know, don't write him off just yet. Um, so one more joke question and then one more real question real question we'll go with um andrew he says which players do you think will be trade bait come the deadline how would you rank the forward call-ups Ooh, trade bait so i have it's weird like the trade bait's gonna be nowhere near to the extent it was last year but um i feel like there's the potential for one center to get dealt especially if logan brown ends up working his way into the lineup so mm-hmm. um if he's like chris tierney or pajot could be that person. And I feel like the Sens will want to keep Pajot. He has that local connection, uh, even though he'll be an unre- unrestricted free agent this year. So who knows how those contract negotiations will go. But 
Um, it feels like one of Pajot or Tierney could end up being moved. They just seem like pretty, um, even though they're not similar, they seem like very redundant players in the sense yeah. that like they would be very. filling the same kind of role in the lineup. And uh, yeah, so the, the other player I kind of look at is Mark Borvieski, which seems like a long shot at this point, just because like of how ingrained he is at the community. But if you look at the Suns tendency, the players they deal are upcoming UFAs. So um, this is the last season of Mark Borvieski's contract. So, I mean, if they aren't dealing him, then I actually look out for like a contract extension soon. I would actually surprise me with that, unfortunately. But uh, yeah. And I think also an important name to mention too is, I I don't know if a team is even going to be willing to give up a pick for him, but Ron Hainsey will also be a UFA. Um, so, you know, there might be a team like, you know, save the Capitals or something that's looking for a sixth or seventh defenseman. Um, also, I mean, Tyler Ennis as well. He only signed that, that one-year contract and he's a solid defensive forward. So um, I, th- I would say that those two guys are options as well at the deadline. And add Mikhail Bogker in there too. Again, like it doesn't seem like anybody would be willing to give up a pick for him at this point, but uh, if, yeah. if they can find a suitor, then I mean, by all means, he could be gone even earlier than the trade deadline. Should we rank the forward call-ups too? Because that was the second part of his question. Oh, the forward call-ups. I mean, there's so many to go over. I know. I mean, um, I would say Brown first for sure. Yeah. Uh, second, I mean... I'd go with Davidson, even though you don't have him as a call-up. Yeah, so well, Davidson slash Balsers, like whoever you have. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, after that, um, I mean, we got to think of Josh Norris fitting in there. I mean, he's cleared to play now. Um, I would say maybe Schlappick, though, just because he's a bit more... Fair. Like, yeah, I don't fair. know what Norris is going to be like this year. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair call because Norris will also be just playing his rookie pro, pro season. Yeah. But, uh, uh, after that, then I go to Alex Formerson probably. Um, yeah, and then probably I'd say Verano. Yeah, Verano is in that uh, realm too. Um, here's my um, uh, my underrated pick. I think might be Michael Carsoni. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, he put up solid numbers in the AHL last year. His underlying numbers were actually pretty good. His uh, his uh, goals, I think it was his goals against per 60 was actually pretty decent. So, uh, I mean, he's only 23 as well. It's not like uh, he's uh, Jack Roadwell, 25 already. Yeah. In it, in it. So, um, who knows? It, it seems like a, if Michael Carstoni will be up in the chance that players get injured or they're just really trading... Things will need to go right if Michael Carsoni gets a call-up, but uh, I wouldn't write him off as a potential NHLer just yet. So. For sure. Um, last one comes in from friend of the show, Ryan Classic. Can we just call him Joey OK? I will not stand for this Joey Decord slander, Ryan. I'm very sorry. <laughs> what? I mean, I that's what I call him. I don't know who came up with it, but like, it's such a good nickname. Yeah, I actually have one more question here. Uh, okay. this, is, uh, this is from uh, Kelly uh, at That Hockey Glass. Uh, name your one biggest hope and your one biggest fear for the upcoming season. Could be player, coach, or organization Ooh. related. And I, like I have that. my biggest hope, and I think that's Melnick out. And I feel like you'll probably be on the same page as that. I mean, we're the Cosper Podcast. Yeah. It, it will uh, kind of ruin our name if uh, Melnick sells the team, but hey, it'll, it'll, be, it'll all be for the better. And. Uh, <laughs> My biggest fear is actually that they just won't get a good draft pick. Honestly, I don't know how that would end up happening. Maybe they just end up being decent and actually not making the playoffs. But like, 
I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just really look forward to this draft class. So uh, if, if there's for some reason they don't end up getting a, like a top five or a top 10 pick, that'd be pretty disappointing. Yeah. I mean, man, I hate to be boring, but like, I think my answers would be the exact same. Like, I don't know how you could hope for anything else but a sale of the team. And pretty much why we're watching this season is to see what draft pick they get. So if they didn't get a good one or if they say got like sixth or seventh and then went way off the board and it wasn't that good of a draft pick, then that'd pretty much be like the worst case scenario. So, yeah, I guess that's also my biggest fear. Yeah. And just like what always happens with this podcast, we always end on the Melnick notes. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. I guess we can call it a day. Um, the next couple episodes will be sort of season, season preview things. Um, we'll be talking about Belleville, um, Ottawa prospects, and then we'll be previewing the Senators season, um, I guess talking more about lines. Um, and we'll hopefully bring on some people to, uh, to interview and, and talk with them about this upcoming season. So, uh, yeah, that should be fun. Yeah, awesome. Looking forward to this. As we wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cost for Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can follow me on Twitter at ShaqTS and read my articles at HockeyBuzz. And you can follow Colin on Twitter at CudmoreColin and read his articles at Silver7Sends. The podcast also has a Twitter account at CPPointcast, where we'll notify you of future episodes. Be sure to stay tuned in in the coming weeks for episodes previewing both Ottawa's and Belleville seasons as we get ready for the season. That's all for today. Adios.